0: to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, hello. It is Wednesday night. And here we are for another star-studded episode of Friends in Fiction with three best-selling author guests on the way tonight. We have an amazing evening ahead of us, so let's get started. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'm Patty Callahan-Henry. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And this is Friends and Fiction, four New York Times best-selling authors, endless stories to support independent bookstores, authors, and librarians. Christy Woodson Harvey has the night off tonight, but she will be back in action next week. And I know she is sorry to miss this episode because we have a great lineup coming up in the next hour. You will meet Alka Joshi and Martha Hall Kelly and then Nita Prose will be joining us for the after show.
1: But first, we are so excited to celebrate something pretty special this week, Friends and Fiction Group, Friends and Fiction Group on Facebook, hit seventy-five thousand members. Seventy-five. 70,
2: seventy-five
1: <laughs> thousand members.
2: <laughs> we cannot tell you how much this means to us. When we started Friends and Fiction in April of 2020, I know y'all remember what happened in April of yeah. 2020. But we had no idea that you would respond to it like you have. Just this week, Kristen found the first email that started it all from Mary Kay Andrews. And we've said this before, but we figured we would do the show for seven weeks. And then, you know, our lives,
0: you know, but the show and the group have pretty much become our lives, or at least a big portion of our lives. Behind the scenes, the four of us, along with our managing director, Meg, our podcast host, Ron, and our producer, Sean, are putting in hours and hours of work every single week to make sure that Facebook our Facebook page is a safe warm place and that this show and our podcast are the best they can be episode after episode we hope that you're as happy to be here as we are and we want you to know that we are tremendously grateful for all your support ladies can we raise a little glass to that so cheers to seventy-five thousand! I know
1: yeah that's true (laughs) And here's a little tip: if you ever want your friends to respond to an email, put um, "Oh, hey, Rosé in the subject <laughs> That yeah, was but- that the first. That started
2: the whole thing. It, it was pretty be- easy. Pretty easy yeah, to round this up after that. Say, hey,
1: Rose. Okay, now if you guys are having fun, make sure, please, to share that with book-loving friends, because we would love to get to 100,000. And speaking of our book-loving friends, we want to remind you that over on our exclusive book book club on the Apple fa- app, Fable app, Fable, M-A-B-L-E, app, we're currently reading Ellen Hildebrand's The Hotel Nantucket which she told us about on the show last week and which just marked her third week at number one on the New York Times. Third Best week Sunday. at Yay! number one. That's
2: insane. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, that's I know. I don't to want to do. say
1: we're trend spotters, but we kind of are. We okay. Are. So if you haven't joined us on the <laughs> table yet, this is a great time to join in. Each month, one of the four of us hosts an interactive discussion about our chosen book. This month, Christy, is on there chatting with book club members, and you can read along in your own time and join the discussion at your whenever. Leisure. Uh, your, yeah, no, I don't like that word. It's just $5 a month to join our premium club, which is cheaper than one of those fancy cups of coffee from Starbucks. So visit fable.co backslash. Is that a backsplash, backslash? Yeah. Yep. That's a backslash. Friends and fiction, all one word to sign up today.
2: And have you heard that the four of us are on the road or even in the air together <laughs> since we all have to fly to this next yeah. one? We have one pair of events left this season. We have really exciting things live next year, but for this season, we only have one, well, one pair of events live. Your last chance to see us all together before the summer ends. On July 20th, we will be at Bethany Beach Books in Bethany Beach, Delaware, which is kind of like a Peter Piper picnic. <laughs> Bethany Beach Books in Bethany Beach, Delaware. On July 21st, we're having a luncheon event in Rehoboth, Delaware, hosted by Browse About Books. So back to back on the 20th and the 21st. And we are so excited to see how many of you might be able to come out in person. And if you're planning to join us, make sure to get your tickets before both events sell out. You can find the link under Pinned Posts on our Facebook page, or on the Bethany Beach Books and Browse About Books websites.
1: Yeah, I think we might have to let our, um, our folks suggest what our next walkout music should be. Oh, oh that's
0: a yes, great idea. Put that in the
1: comments, everybody. Yes. Yeah. What do you think each of our walkout songs should be?
2: Wait, well, let's tell them what our last ones were. Yours? What was yours, Mary Kay? I don't know. You don't remember?
0: <laughs> do you remember yours, Kristen? Mine was the Sex in the City theme song. Oh, Meg.
2: Wild thing. Wild thing. Wild thing. thing. <laughs> Mine was, uh... so that's funny. What was yours? Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet. Oh, yep. that's right. Sweet. Oh, oh no, Sean no, says no, no.
0: ours should be The Forest of Vanishing Stars, the musical. I, I concur. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. There you go. All right, yeah, yeah, put on your thinking caps and let us know what you think. <laughs> in the meantime, don't forget, we continue to encourage you to support indie booksellers when and where you can. And one way, easy way to do that is to visit our friends in fiction bookshop.org page where you can find Alka's books, Martha's books, Anita's book, and books by the four of us and our past guests at a discount.
0: Also each week, we're gonna be giving you a chance to ask us anything. If you have a question you would like the four of us to answer or a topic you'd like us to discuss, we're all ears. In fact, feel free to drop questions in the comments now for future weeks. We go through every week and you know read through what you've asked and pull something that kind of makes sense for that week's show. We really do wanna hear from you. So we get so many good questions this week that I had a hard time choosing one, but this one kind of seemed fun. Jane Kessler Hickok would like to know, which of our characters was the most difficult to write? How about you Patty?
2: I've been thinking about this and I have to say it, it for me it, the most difficult character to write is the one I'm getting to know. So if I'm just starting a book and I don't know them yet I'm like oh my god this character is so hard to write and then by the end of the book I'm like that's my favorite character <laughs> <That's> but, <true. laughs> right but I do have to say that um, the one that was the most terrifying to write was when I wrote *Becoming Mrs. Lewis* and had to write and have words come out of C.S. Lewis's mouth.
0: Oh yeah, I
2: can I was see like, that. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't, but how do I write this whole book without it? Of so course. that was that was that was a little fracking. How about you, well, Mary kay It's beautifully done, Patty. I
1: think I was, you know, I was thinking about this and. Um, maybe it's Letty who was a protagonist of last year's book, The Newcomer. You know, Letty's had a difficult past. Um, she has secrets. Um she sort of reinvents herself on the fly. And of course she's in the book, she's she's running in terror and she's got her her now deceased sister's four-year-old and All of those were uh, challenges to write. So for me, I think maybe. Hold it
2: off. Hold it off. You absolutely did. Absolutely. Very well done. Very
0: well done. You know, for me, it was probably Inez, who was one of the three main characters in my 2019 book, The Winemaker's Wife. And every book I write, I, I try to challenge myself to do something that doesn't come easily and doesn't come naturally. Something you know, like The Forest of Vanishing Stars. I did but not why? come naturally why? to me to write do about that? I know, I know, but it, and I think it helps you grow, right? Yeah. And so in The Winemaker's Wife, Inez is a really unsympathetic character at first. Like there are reasons that she acts the way that she does, but but it, it takes a while to get to those reasons. And it takes a while before she starts to grow and become better. And by the point that she does, she's already done some things that are pretty bad. Um, yeah. And that was a challenge for me because typically the number one comment I get on first drafts from my editor is like, what is wrong with you? People are not perfect. Like make your characters do bad things. So this was one that I went in the door saying, all right, my character's going to do bad things. <laughs> I like, wouldn't yeah. how you like that. So it was a challenge, but um, hopefully it turned out okay.
2: I think, I think it too. It's beautiful. All right.
0: Well, that was cool. I'm, I'm glad we took that question. All right. So without further ado, let's welcome our guests for the evening, Alka Joshi and Martha Hall Kelly.
2: Alka Joshi is the best-selling author of the henna artist and the secret keeper of Japur. Alka was born in India and her family immigrated to America in 1967. She earned a BA from Stanford University and an MFA from California College of Arts in San Francisco. Before writing her first novel, Alka ran an advertising and marketing agency for 30 years. Her first novel, The Henna Artist, was a Reese's book club pick, as one is, and (laughs) Library Journal called it an uplifting tale that highlights the power of family. Alka has spent time in Italy and France, and she currently lives on the northern California coast with her husband. She is working on a third book to conclude the trilogy. And I'm so jealous of this, and it's so exciting, a screen adaptation of The Hen Artist.
1: Martha Hall, Martha Hall Kelly is the best-selling author of The Lilac Girls, Lost Roses, and Sunflower Sisters. She worked as an advertising copywriter for many years before writing her first novel, Lilac Girls, which was a New York Times bestseller when it was released in 2016. The novel is historical fiction, but it is based on the true story of 72 Polish women who were imprisoned and experimented on at Ravensbrück concentration camp. And I I have to tell you, when I read that book, I still remember how it's destroyed me.
2: Even when you said it, I got those chill like the hair. Yeah, just
1: absolutely. Okay, and, and you know, as importantly, she wrote about American philanthropist and actress Caroline Faraday and how she brought those ladies to the United States for rehabilitation and the trip of a lifetime. Publishers Weekly called Lilac Girls a page-turner, and Library Journal said it is extremely movable, moving, and memorable. <laughs> also okay, movable. Moving and memorable. Martha grew up in Massachusetts and now splits her time between Connecticut and New York City.
0: You know, I had the pleasure of doing events with Martha and Alka last year with Adventures by the Book and the Corona Public Library in California. And I loved them both and loved the, just the chemistry between them too. There was, um, they write such different things but there's so much overlap. So I'm excited for all of you to meet them all of you out there to meet them today. So Sean, can you bring Alka and Martha on?
3: Hi ladies. Oh, hi. hi, hi ladies. Guys. This is so fun. Congratulations. Oh, thank Collins. you. Cheers. Oh, We're so pretty excited. excited. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So wonderful. Thank, thank you so much.
0: Us. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here, ladies. We're so excited to talk to you tonight. And I would love um if, if we could begin by having the two of you tell everyone out there about your latest books. Alka, would you like to start by telling us about The Secret Keeper? of Japer? Did I say it right? right? <laughs>
4: oh, I tried so, so hard. I butcher so
1: everything.
4: Patty, you did a good job. Thank you, <laughs> Kristen. Thank you, Thank Kristen. you, <laughs> <friend>. Thank you. <laughs> So the secret keeper of Japer uh, takes us into 1969. Uh, and the, the, uh, the Hannah Artist had taken place in 1955. So what happened is I had started a whole other book, but Malik, one of the characters from the henna artist, just would, you know, was pestering me the whole time saying, you got to write my book. You got to write my story. So I started writing the secret keeper of Jaipur. Now, in so doing, I uh, had to do all this research and try to figure out where is Lakshmi going to send a 20 year old Malik to get the kind of uh, background and, and career going that she wants him to have. Uh, and so I thought, OK, well, she's going to send him back to the Maharani's whom we met in the henna artist. She's going to have, have him and sort of learn about construction and so on. And of course, you know, she wants to get him away from all of the illegal stuff that he does in his spare time to earn a little pocket money. And of course, he, in, in, you know, unbeknownst to him, gets involved in nefarious activities anyway, and she has to come rescue him. So that is what the secret keeper of Jaipur is
1: all about.
0: Oh, that's awesome, and and we loved it. Um, and and it's it, and as you mentioned, it is a follow up to your enormously popular the henna artist. So the characters we fell in love with there, um, we see again, which is great. And Martha, how about you? Can you tell us about Sunflower Sisters?
3: Absolutely. Well, once I and first of all, Mary Kay, I'm sorry I destroyed you. I I can't tell you how many people I have to you know apologize to. <laughs> but um I like it's your job to make me care Damn. about the characters yeah so I guess I did my job so yeah. yes but once I um once it was clear that uh Lilac Girls was a hit I guess you could say um yes I that, went I guess to Ren- I think you could say <laughs> that <laughs> I-, I went I went to Random House uh, and my husband actually said, um, now is your moment, uh, you know, you, you've got leverage. And so I thought, I want to write more books. So um, I pitched them on two more books. One was Last Roses, which was Caroline Faraday's from Lilac Girl's mother. And that takes place a lot of it in Russia. And then the next book I said, I want to write about Caroline Faraday's great grandmother, uh, Jane Eliza, because that's where all of Caroline's kind of grit came from. And I, I knew that there were a thousand letters down in the basement of the uh, Bellamy Faraday house and I'd have to read them all, which I did. But um, yeah, that inspired uh, Sunflower Sisters and it's the same three person uh, narrative. And it's Georgiana, who is Caroline's great aunt. She had eight of them, so it was hard to choose. they were all so yeah. fabulous. And Anne May, who is a... Um, plantation mistress. She, of all my characters ever, even to Oberhauser from Lilac Girls, people say that Anne May is just the worst in terms of, you know, they hate her the most. But I, I actually tried to make her somewhat uh, likable, but I, I don't know, didn't really succeed. And then um, Gemma is enslaved on Anne May's Plantation, which is called, um, it's down in Sauterly, which is a real place. It's a tobacco plantation. So it's the story of um, how Georgiana, which is true, um, starts the first uh, nursing school in the United States and becomes a nurse in a time when, you know, you couldn't. But I really tried to keep it um, relevant to today and not like, you know, some of those books that talk about Clara Barton and things, but um, yeah. So it's how those three women uh, make it through the civil war.
0: I love that. And it's so fascinating how you've been able to stick with the same family for all three books, but that they're such completely separate, distinct tales. Um, All right. So there's a question that we've been asking lately that comes to us through Kate Quinn, who I think is a friend to all of us. Um, Ladies, you have told us what your books are about, but what are they really about? Alka, do you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, I think that um,
4: The Secret Keeper of Jampor is about two different things. One is um, the you know when when we first meet Malik in the Henna Artist, he's an eight year old boy, and he could go either way. He could go in a in a good direction. He could go in a mischievous direction, and so I wanted to explore in the Secret Keeper of Jaipur. Did he grow up to be uh, the guy that we thought he was going to be, or did he grow up to be a completely different kind of guy? So I think what I what I want to explore is uh, our childlike selves. Do we remain consistent with that or do outside circumstances change us in a very uh, dramatic way? So that's one. The other thing uh, that I'm exploring is the relationship between Lakshmi, who has been Malik's guardian all of these years for about 12, 13 years. She's been his guardian and she is his de facto parent. And at this time in The Secret Keeper, Malik is now 20 years old she has to at some point let go. And I'm exploring how difficult it is for a parent and all of the uh, sort of stages they go through to let go of an adult child to say, I have taught you as much as I can, and it's your turn to make the decisions uh, of your life that are going to determine the rest of your life. So I'm also exploring that um, as, as a relationship pattern between uh, parents and children.
0: Oh, I love that. How about you, Martha? What is uh, Sunflower Sisters really about?
3: Well, first of all, leave it to Kate Quinn to ask a question like that. She's yes. just a genius. <laughs> Did you know she was an opera singer before? Yes, she... yes she I know. We tried to get her to sing, but she won't. I, next time. I um, bet she has to I, warm up before she sings. Oh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. She <laughs> says, next time we'll get her a warm up. Um, you
4: know, in, and in, in San Diego, um, uh, sh- this was for what they called a super book, uh, and uh, Kate sang the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. And it was lovely. I mean, I was like, yeah. who is that person? And it turned out to be Kate
3: Quinn, who was at the Jeez. podium singing it.
0: Oh my She's God. to be a, amazing. To have that yeah.
3: talent and to be able to write like she does. It's not crazy. fair. It's not fair. But any, yes. yes. But anyway, um, I, you know, lately, that's such a great question. And lately, I've been really thinking about that. Um, and I, I feel like this book, is really about what all my other all my other, my two other books are about. And that is, and I must be somehow playing out my own issue or something. I don't know if you guys do that. Yes, absolutely. It's always about mothers and daughters and sisters. And the idea that you can make mistakes and no matter how bad it was, if you understand that and you change yourself and make up for it somehow, that you can redeem yourself. So yeah. I think that's that seems to be, you know, what I always write about.
2: And oh, making amends. Yeah. Yeah. So you both write books set in the past, and I'd love to talk about and I do too and Kristen does too. And I'd love to talk about why it's so important to keep that history alive and not just in textbooks, but in ways that connect with the reader's heart. So Martha, start us off. Why do you think it's so important that we we retell these stories? I mean, why is it important that you read a thousand letters in somebody's basement? You know, why is that so important? That's such a great question. And I think that when you you provide it in a
3: novel um, versus nonfiction, I think that people get so involved in that. I think in Sunflower Sisters, for example, there was... um, the draft riots, which uh, when I was writing that scene, um, it it, it actually happened, it was a three-day, it was the largest insurrection in our history. I just thought, this is just like what we just went through um, with our own insurrection. And I, I think it's really important to bring that back to people. And so, I mean, it's a cliche, but if you don't understand history, you're really you know, um, doomed to repeat it. So Mm. that's part of it. But I think it's also just it's just really important to go back into history and and kind of time travel a little bit and remember what all that was all
2: about. Yeah. And feel it in a visceral way instead of just, you know, having to memorize dates. Um, Yes. Yes.
3: Yeah. Because in high school, I don't know about you guys, but I really, I didn't love history. I felt like it was all about the men in the class. Yeah. Um, it was. Until I went to Catholic <laughs> school. All great. Yeah, well, and the men in history, right? Yes. But yeah. I felt like it was all about dates and planes. And, and, and it wasn't until I had a female teacher in 11th grade for history when I just, and she talked about the people. So I, I think that about the and what we all do, it's all about just the people. Yeah, you're so right.
2: How about you, Alga? Especially bringing back specifically the history and some of the details of India, why is it important now?
4: You know, uh, for me it was really important um, growing up as an immigrant in uh, the United States to really let people know what India is about. The only things that I ever saw in the history books when I was reading about India here in the United States as a kid uh, were, you know, that India was poor and it was underdeveloped and it was uh, full of people who couldn't read or write or, you know, God knows what they were doing. And uh, so I just remember feeling as a kid here in the United States that, wait a second, that's not the India I came from. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And as a kid, you don't have the kind of language or the voice to be able to Uh, let people know, you know, the larger perception that they need to be aware of. And I think that writing about the history of India post-independence and how India got to be uh, considered a poor country and how its people really rose up and were very resilient throughout all of that post-independence period when they have to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and after 200 years of colonization by the other uh, and you know reinvent themselves. I think it's important for the world to know this and it doesn't get written about very often. And now that I'm older and I have the voice and I have the platform to be able to talk about that, it's very important for me to let people know uh, how strong all also the women were during this period, yes. Um, yes. And, and I think part of what we historical fiction authors are bringing to the table is the perspective of women throughout all of these stages of history. It's something that completely gets left out of history books. You know, in history books, uh, 80% of the, the uh, history makers are all men. Uh, it seems as if all of the major decisions in life are always being made by men, and so I think children reading those history books grow up thinking that it's men who make all the major decisions, so we should always be looking at men for leadership. And that is so not the case, yeah. as we are pointing out in our books. We are pointing out how important uh, the women were to, um, you know, the various gains in history, the improvements, uh, the uplifting of people, and the resilience of families. These things are so important uh, to point out. And I am just so delighted that historical fiction has become such a big deal.
2: Yeah.
4: So many more of us women writing about the women in history.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carrie Soderman just sent in a comment that drives home exactly what both of you are talking about. She said, I think keeping the past alive enables us to find hope in the resilience of the people who made it through the hard times. And both of your books, you know, yeah. bring these women and show the perseverance, the resilience. So not only is it an amazing story, but it brings up the part that has kept been kept hidden. And both of you connect not just with hearts, but also with their senses. Alka, in the Publisher's Weekly Review of the Henna Artist, the publication specifically mentions your evocative descriptions that capture India's sensory ambiance, including horse-drawn tongas. I know I'm going to mispronounce that. (laughs) Pungent cooking fires and incense and colorful saris. Saris? Saris? Which one is it? Sorry. Sorry, I thought so. And Martha, Publishers Weekly called your most recent novel vivid and impeccably researched. I really want y'all to talk to all of us a bit about where you find these sensory details that engage your senses and keep us so involved and immersed in these worlds. Alka, talk that a bit.
4: Well, you know, I noticed that Martha and I are both coming from the... Um, uh, the background of advertising copywriting. You and when you're a copywriter, you often have to bring senses into play, especially when you're writing for print. Uh, and, you know, you want yeah. to be able to engage uh, your viewer, your reader, you know, uh, your listener, if you're writing radio, television, print. Uh, you have to, have to be able to engage them in all of their senses. So you have to be able to get them uh, to where you want them to be and to buy that product or service, whatever it is you're selling. So I think that we have a background in doing that very naturally, and I think that it naturally comes through when we start writing our fiction.
3: I don't know, Martha, if you agree, but I, I, I feel like they tell us. Yeah. Yes. Totally. I, you know, I never really thought about it that way before, but mm-hmm. that is 100%. I think advertising, being a copywriter, helps you in a lot of ways. <laughs> you Also, you don't just write for yourself, you realize that there's someone that you need to write for. Um, oh, but I anyway, like um, in terms of senses, I feel like going to the place, I, with like <sighs> really helps. Going to with lilac girls uh to to go to robinsburg concentration camp and actually i went there with my son to to wow. just breathe that in is and then you give it back on the page uh i went to russia for lost roses russia oh my god was it but then you, you get excited yourself like Alka does bringing it um uh, India to you. I feel like I'm bringing France to you. Yeah. Uh, at least that's what I'm trying to do. Yes. And um, with with Sunflower Sisters, I I spent a lot of time at Gettysburg and down south in plantations because uh, I lived in Atlanta at the time when I wrote it. So I really every everywhere I went, I was always um, kind of picking up little sensory details and um, particularity, especially little things about uh, what it was. What did I say? Did I say the wrong? No, word? I
2: was agreeing. The particularity. <gasps> oh that's yeah, That's yeah. what sets you in the scene, like the that's small the little thing, detail. Right? Yeah,
3: right. And you do that so beautifully, Patty, and oh, and gosh. that I think really makes it come alive uh, for the for the reader. Um, but anyway, that's that's the way that I do it. Also, with going back to original sources, um, reading uh, things that were written of the period, um, mm-hmm. I, I always find lots of little good tidbits in there too, sensory wise.
4: And, um, Patty, uh, I think another thing is that when, you know, all of us have been readers, right? Probably our whole lives, all of us have loved libraries and been readers. And I know that as a reader, I want to be immersed in the background of a story. I want to be there so much that I forget everything else around me. So I think that as writers, that's what we want to bring to our readers because that was what was so enjoyable to us as readers.
2: But we don't always know how. Go ahead, Mary Kay. Yeah, I was
1: wondering, Alka, did you go back to India when yes. you were working on? Yes. Or I, was I, that a regular pilgrimage for you? Did you had you gone back often gro- during your growing up years? During my growing up years, I didn't go back
4: for 30 years. I had not been back. Yeah, no. Uh, But then, um, you know, my younger brother bought a condo there. And so uh, my mother and I started going because she needed a a chaperone uh, with her. She was at that age. And uh, so as I was going back there with her, not only was I remembering things about growing up in India till the age of nine, but my mother was there to share all of her references with me. And it was such a uh, 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 sort of, you know, full-bodied experience for me every time she and I would go back. And I asked her lots of questions about her life. You know, Mom, what's it like to be in an arranged marriage and to meet that guy for the first time on your wedding night? Ah." You know, stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) So, um, you know, those are the kinds of things that also I think we were at that age where I'm in my 50s, she's in her 70s. And we're uh, we're at that age where she can share a lot of that with me. She's feeling more comfortable about sharing that the kind of thing that I don't think she would have shared with me uh, had I been asking her at sixteen or seventeen. Uh, So, yeah, I took a lot of trips. I talked to a lot of people who are still alive from the period of the 50s and the 60s. uh, And then uh, my new book uh, coming out next March will be about the 70s. So um, the people are still alive during that period. I can talk to a lot of people from that period. And as Martha was saying, I read a lot of books that took place during that period, you know, novelists. Uh, from India who are writing about uh, their periods that they were living through uh, and I think that is all such good fodder for whatever it is that we imagine and come up with with our characters.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I'm so glad you told us that. Okay, Martha, talk to us a little bit about how and why you discovered Caroline, Caroline Faraday in the first place. And I I think it's really interesting because at the time you discovered her, you were not writing fiction. Isn't that right? Oh God, no. I I never even thought about it. It's crazy. When I think
3: back on it now, uh, I just love lilacs and I read a story in Victoria magazine about Caroline's incredible lilacs. And that was Caroline Faraday. And uh, it had a little picture of her. She was a, beautiful Broadway actress, a little picture of the house and some lilacs. And I love old houses, as you know, Mary Kay. And yeah. um I uh we share that I think. So um I my husband said it was Mother's Day and my mom had just passed away and um, I was blue and he said I'll take care of the kids you go up to the Bellamy Faraday house he knew I wanted to go and when I went up there I was the only person on the tour that day and I found this story that I really feel was waiting for me I know it sounds crazy <sighs>
2: no we all believe that
3: yeah it happens to all us really time. well yeah. you guys you understand when I walked into that house I just feel like she kind of said okay well this one's as good as any to tell my story <laughs> <laughs> um you know she doesn't have an advanced degree but you know whatever so um but even then I didn't I didn't think oh I'm gonna write I just went up there in her archives and started uh researching and I did that for five years and then I moved to Atlanta and yeah. I thought well I can't do that anymore and then um I went through a Starbucks drive through I took my son to school and Uh, by mistake the barista gave me a caffeinated uh (laughs) drink and I don't drink caffeine because it makes me crazy but um I went home and all the chapters just started pouring out they weren't fabulous you know they were all just like (laughs) narrative summary, but it all just like came out
1: so yeah that's how it happened I
3: hope you're having caffeine
1: now it was an (laughs) accidental caffeination (laughs)
3: resulting in a best-selling novel yeah (laughs) yes thank you starbucks i really (laughs) should thank them but but yeah i only have green tea in the morning that's all i can i can do yeah i'm sort of i want to
1: drink a diet Diet coke
3: that's my in the morning yeah that's a Southern thing. When I worked at McCann on the Coke account, we
1: did that, have a Coke in the morning. That was, <laughs> so, you know. Well, she listened to your ad. It worked. It worked. worked. I worked at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution every day. I would come in the back door. No way. The yeah. And you would go up to, you had to to get to the newsroom. You'd have to come through the, the company cafeteria. And my, I had a very healthy breakfast regime, which was a Diet Coke and a Reese's cup. And then I'll just... <laughs> All right, well enough about me. Um, Martha, <laughs> it can be so complicated to decide what to write next after such a successful freshman novel. Yes. Instead yeah. of sticking to that same time period in World War II, you stayed with the family, Caroline Faraday's family, and you did not once but twice, more times framing the Sunflower Sisters around the family too.
3: Talk about that decision. You know, it was completely um, just an uh, emotional decision. Um, Talk about a caffeinated decision. I I was so (laughs) worried that I wouldn't be able to write another book. And, um, you know, Lilac Girls had, had been successful, but I didn't understand anything about the publishing world. And I just thought, unless I have a contract for two more books, you know, they could just, you know, set me off so that's why i just thought well i've done all this research i know the family and i really was interested in russia and um caroline's mother's whole thing and also in the Woolsey women who are in sunflower sisters so i just thought okay well this one won't take me 10 years it actually ended up taking me five but the you know both of them were about five years and i thought it just seemed natural um so yeah so that's that's what i did and i was so lucky because random house was i have the most amazing team and they were just like if that's what you want to write about that's that's fabulous and they they love the idea so it it, that's how it happened (laughs) and they told me somebody along the way said you have to start writing your next book once the first one is in the can you should start writing your next book. And I'm glad I did because it really helped me through. I, As a newbie, I didn't know what was yeah. going to happen. And and it really helped me just like stay focused instead of like waiting for the phone to ring or an email or something. I oh, realized awesome. very quickly that, you know, this, there are long this, stretches when you just don't know what's going on.
1: Yeah. Sometimes ignorance is bliss.
3: Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And having nice something
0: to focus on really helps. Absolutely. Okay, so Alka, I'm so interested in this. I've read that you don't write full-time, that you begin with the research and then you just kind of let your imagination go and you sit down to actually write only when the mood strikes. Yet you've also said that after four decades of work experience, you're always able to meet your publisher's deadlines, which I think all of us are a little bit envious of. So um, can you talk a little <laughs> bit about this, about your process and also how you manage to stay on track without actually laying out a formal track? I, I think that's, I, it's just, I'm just fascinated. So tell us all your secrets.
4: I think that a lot of the organization happens in my head and I trust uh, all of the different file folders in my head to keep everything in the right places. Um, And I trust
1: file folders in my head. (laughs) Maybe that's why my hair is bad.
3: No, you have a lid trap in your head. That's what you have.
4: (laughs) So, um, well, I think what happens is that... um, you know, when you have strong characters, and I think probably all of our books are successful because we have very strong characters. We have characters that feel real. We have characters that are imperfect. We have characters who do bad things and good things and ugly things and happy things. And so um, when you have characters like that, I think they speak to you and they start saying, well, you know, now you've got to write my story or there's more that you could be telling about us. Uh, and I think that that's probably, you know, what happens with me. So as I'm walking, usually when I'm exercising, so as I'm walking or I'm swimming or I'm uh, riding my bike, uh, you know, characters will start talking to me. And I, I know, I know I'm not crazy. I, I know, I know this, <laughs> this is not like, you know, I'm hearing voices. No. But, you know, um, you know, I have characters and they're starting to, to be in scenes. And so I'm paying attention. And as soon as I get home or maybe even if I have my iPhone, I turn on the voice recorder and I just uh, speak into it whatever scene is coming to my head and I start, you know, imagining. Um, and then by the time I get home, I might have a pretty good idea of how that scene is going to play out or I may not. And I may the next day keep playing with the scene in my head. It's not until I feel that the scene is quite done, um, maybe 80 percent baked that i actually put it down on my laptop so that's how i write uh and the ideas just flow all the time and once again i have to give a lot of credit to my years in advertising when you're in advertising you know you have clients who say okay i need to see this concept in two weeks and in a month we are going to go into production and you know everything's got to be cast and produced and blah, 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 And so you, you can't say, hey, I'm sorry, I have no ideas. You cannot ever say that. So, um, so I think I've just trained my mind to constantly be generating ideas, and that's what I've always done. One of the things I remember one of my bosses said is you throw away your first 99 crap ideas and then the 100th idea is what you work on. And so in order to generate that many ideas, you got to be coming up with a whole lot of shit all the time. Yes. I'm so I glad
2: it. to hear
1: you say that. <laughs> Why? That's life affirming for me. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I our- feel so crazy. Yeah.
1: yeah.
4: I mean, we. I, I bet that as you guys are peeling potatoes or you're giving, <laughs> giving, giving mess, the kids too. a bath or whatever, you know, you're yowering. thinking about your characters. And we're constantly writing, whether it's on a piece of paper or, uh, you know, on a laptop. I think we're constantly writing in our heads.
0: Yeah. And and by, and by the, the way, you guys, I think time.
4: it's going to keep us from dementia. I, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in.
1: <laughs> okay. Quickly, uh, Alka talk to us about the henna artist and the television project are you involved in that or are you just like have you just handed it off i handed it off uh i learned
4: that it's much easier if you just hand off everything to them and you take the big chunk of money that they're giving you, <laughs> and, you just, and you just let them do what they want to do with it because they actually pay you less money if you as an author want to be involved because they don't trust you to uh p- put your hands off of the project you know to keep your hands off the project so uh, yeah, they would like you to just go away. And that's what I did.
2: <laughs> well, I don't, I, I wish I had the, uh, let's, let's, let's all hope we get the choice. I, I either want to stay or want to go. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Back to you, Martha. You've had this whole other life too, as an advertising copywriter. Um, and like, Alf, you know, uh, how does all this stuff happen? Martha, How did you transition from copywriting to fiction? I mean, you talked about it was a long process. And it can't only involve caffeine, right? (laughs) If it does, I I need to start drinking more coffee. Wait, you guys drink a lot of coffee.
2: I drink a lot of coffee. I mean,
1: y'all, these ladies, when we have these 7 a.m. text change, the main thing is I cannot I can't function. And so I've been with you.
3: Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh
0: yeah. You don't want to know me in the morning before I've had my first cup. <laughs> I'm
2: like, I'll be right back. I'm making coffee. I'll be I'll be <laughs> the BRB. brain's not working. Yeah. yeah. I'm with, yeah. When, I'm with,
1: when I'm with Meg on book tour, who you can't see, Meg Walker, our, our managing director, the main thing that has to happen, it must happen, is caffeination.
3: Really? Well, thank God I don't feel that way. I didn't have to have any caffeination. So I feel kind of lucky. Um, But you were asking about the transition from copyright. Well, I I had retired. I had once my son, who's the third child, he um, kicked the slats out of his crib and he walked out of his crib. And I just (laughs) turned to my husband and said, I think I've kept him in there too long. Um, He was seven. (laughs) He was seven.
1: seven. I'm thinking it
3: was. (laughs) But but I I thought, I have to stay home with these children because they were all very bright and active. And so I was a stay-at-home mom. And, um, you know, I felt something was missing, though, definitely. Uh, And so once I started writing, it just was like, Oh my God! Like, why didn't I do this before? That's crazy. Wow. So, I just kind of like I would read How to Write a Novel book. I have thousands of well, not thousands, hundreds, hundreds um, you know. of How to Write a Novel book, and every <laughs> new one I just like I love them. So I guess I just kind of taught myself how to write. Um, I had a wonderful developmental editor early on, freelance editor named Betty Sargent, and she was so encouraging, and she just said. Um, uh, when i showed her that first manuscript you know the caffeinated one yeah. uh, which is really <laughs> kind of dreadful it was all just narrative summary and she said we'll add dialogue and i said yeah. well What's I, didn't, I didn't know caroline how do i know and she said make it up it's a novel so <laughs> i like google was new at the time actually and i started like googling how to write dialogue but so i feel like i i kind of figured it out from that but i also had to educate myself about world war ii And what happened to the rabbits and go to Ravensbrook. So that was a big part of it. But I always felt like no one is going to read this. I mean, I care about this, but no one else will. Um, And then it was such a shock to go into the UPS store once the the book came out. And you know how quiet it is that first week (laughs) after publication? Yes. And I was like, well, I guess, you know, this is it. (laughs) And I went in and the UPS guy, um, took my book and my Amex and my phone started ringing and he was very much it rules oriented he you couldn't answer the phone in his UPS store so (laughs) I went outside in into you know in Atlanta everything's kind of outside I went out and I answered the phone and there were champagne corks popping and people screaming and it was my editor saying you made the New York Times list and I just thought what universe what is, is happening? this? Yes. It's just crazy. And, you know, that sounds like it happened in a short period of time, but, you know, there was a lot of work in there. And, I, you know, I went to one writer's conference in Las Vegas. That was bizarre. So, but, you know, I, I just kind of figured I'm going to do this for me. And you know how they say dance like no one's watching? I really yeah. was writing like no, my mom was passed away. I thought no one's going to read this. And then look what happened. It's oh, amazing.
0: amazing. I love that. All right, ladies, usually we ask for a writing tip um, at the end of this segment, but what I love about both of you is that you both attempted something new at a time in life when a lot of us are um you know i i think the older we get the more we think okay well my my course is already charted I, i already know where i'm going everything's working out fine why jump off this cliff if i don't know where i'm gonna land right but you both did that even though success was not guaranteed and it worked out amazingly for you so instead of a writing tip tonight from both of you since you've already both talked a little bit about process I would love to hear your life tip about what advice would you give to viewers out there considering their own second act or their own, um, their own jumping off a cliff moment, even if it's not something to do with writing because you both did it so bravely. How about you, Alka?
4: Please be patient with yourself. You don't have to finish that book in two years, in five years, you know, just give yourself the time that it takes to, um, you know, bake that book it is going to take time. You won't be able to do it immediately. And, uh, you know, my first book took 10 years, but now all the subsequent books are only taking two because it's so much easier for me to uh, learn those lessons from the first book. Um, so many people come up to me and, go, and they say, you know, I've got a book and I've been working on I've done three drafts. And I'm like, oh, my God, you are so not done because, you know, I took me 30 drafts to write that first book and 11 drafts to write the second book. You are not done yet. You still need to go through and just be patient with yourself and go through and make those revisions, revision after revision after revision. You will get there. So That's true. Awesome. So true.
0: That's awesome. How about you,
4: Martha? I,
3: I so agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I do think as I get older, what, what they don't tell you is that women have to keep reinventing themselves. Yeah. You, you have to just keep doing it over and over again. I think as writers, we all have to continue to do that too. Yeah. And I I talk to women sometimes like out on a book tour and they'll say, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. And I say, you have you have to just do it. I'm so sorry. I'm um, I thought I turned my notifications off Um, and they say, oh, no, you know, I couldn't do that. And I just it's just frustrating sometimes because I want to just shake them and go, yes, you you definitely can. And you need to, because if you're 50, say, uh, you've got a lot of time left. And so, don't yeah. just you know sit back and do what you've always wanted to do. So that w- that would be my.
2: We had a guest advice. recently who said we were talking about reinvention, and she said, "I think we reinvent ourselves anew every single." No, it was my podcast I just did with Laura McCowan and she said, "I think we reinvent ourselves every morning anew." <gasps> so it's not wow. just life, but no, each. I love
1: like that. that. Yeah. I love that.
2: That's so true.
3: So
1: it's like cell regeneration
3: something oh, yes. like that.
1: Yes. I love, absolutely. That. I, I love that. I love Can that. Did I just say a science thing actually You just did I said <laughs> science. Yes.
0: Yes. It did science. science. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, ladies, we have a ton of live questions and I think we've had such a great, um, a great discussion that we're running out of time to get to them. But if you have a chance maybe to go to the page at some point in the next few days, there are a lot of people asking things of you and a lot of people paying you compliments, talking about how much they love your books. Alcus specifically talking about how much they love your jewelry. (laughs) Um, There's a, there's a lot of love for you both over there. If you have a chance to, um, to drop by Um, quickly, before we transition to our next segment here, do you each have like a 30 second elevator pitch for your next book? I know you both have books coming out um, next year, early next year. Uh, Alka, do you want to tell us about your book coming out in March? Right? The Perfumist of Paris comes out on March 28th of next
4: year. And I had so much fun researching that in Paris, in Lisbon, in uh, New York, and in Brussels. Um, So in it, Radha, who is the 13-year-old girl in uh, The Henna Artist, um, she is the sister of Lakshmi. She is now 32 years old. She lives in Paris with her Parisian husband and her two little girls, and she is working in the perfume industry. She has been tasked with the very first signature scent that she has ever had a chance to create, and she will have to go to India to source a lot of the natural ingredients, which is where raw materials for perfume generally come from. And uh, in so doing, she's going to encounter the seventeen-year-old boy, the baby she gave up for adoption in the henna artist. He is going to find her. He wants to know who his birth mother is, and it will be the shock of her life. So that's oh, what the Perfumist wow. of Paris is about. That's oh, I cannot wait! That's so
5: about a hook. I know, <laughs> I right? Say,
0: <laughs> All right, Martha. How about you? You have a new book coming out next year, too.
3: Yes, I just saw the cover, and oh my god, it's so it's so amazing and so kind of different from these other books. But it's called *The Golden Doves*, and it comes out next spring. And it's about two badass women who <laughs> are survivors of Ravensburg concentration camp. They became known as the Golden Doves when they worked in the um, French underground, and they just you know tortured the Nazis and became famous. And um, it starts in the 50s, eight years after they're released, and they're offered the chance. To, one gets to um, maybe go back and find the child that she thought had died at Robinsbrook, and the other gets to uh, find revenge for somebody that did something bad to her mom at the camp. So she h- works for um, the U.S. Army Intelligence and accepts this job to go find this bad doctor that did terrible things to them at Robinsbrook. So that's the golden wow. bucks. And it comes ah. out. Yeah, it, it comes out next spring. I also have a short story uh, called Naomi's gift with um, a bunch of fabulous authors um, that is uh, coming out this month. It's called Naomi's for gift. Sure. It's an anthology from Amazon. Yeah.
1: We'll look for it. Yeah, how exciting. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I, I actually spotted so that yeah. I spotted
0: that on Amazon today, so I know it'll be easy for people to find if they, they go looking. I did. Did you see yes. the other
3: authors? They're pretty amazing. I yeah. am
0: so excited for you and so excited to read it. That is awesome. Well, Alka and, and and Martha, we could talk to you all night, but if you would not mind sticking around for a few more minutes, we have one more question for you before we let you go. But first, a few reminders from us.
2: Just always a reminder about our Writer's Block podcast. We'll always post links under Announcements each time a new one drops on our Facebook page. And a new episode launches every single Friday. Last week, Ron talked to Jacinda Townsend about her astounding book, Mother Country. And this week, in a few days, we'll release a new one, Ron and Christy, talk with Brooke Lee Foster about her book on Gin Lane. You don't yeah, want to miss either one. one of those.
1: Yeah, they both sound great. And we know many of you have been, have been participating in our very first Friends in Fiction Reading Challenge organized by our friend, Anisa Armstrong. This month for July, we've, we are encouraging you to read a classic that you've always meant to read. And if you're looking for a way to keep track of those books, and your other reading, we would love to recommend our beautiful reading journal at Oxford, which is available through Oxford Exchange. And you know, it's just such a great thing um, to track what you've been reading and also to kind of broaden your reading horizons. Yeah, you're
0: absolutely right. Well, speaking speaking of broadening reading horizons, Another place you can do that is the Friends and Fiction Official Book Club, um, which is such a fun group. I actually, just before we came on tonight, um, got to do a Zoom with Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner, the two lovely women who run that group, um, along with Jodina, um, who's been extremely helpful with that group also. They're now more than 12,000 strong. Um, Brenda and Lisa, otherwise known as PB&J, Choose a book to discuss every month, and this month they're reading Book Lovers by Emily Henry together. So they have happy hours with our Writer's Block podcast host, Ron Block. They keep everyone in the loop about suggested reads and upcoming releases. And up next, they will be discussing Book Lovers with its author, the lovely Emily Henry, who's also been on our show, on July 18th. So make sure you join that group if you haven't already, Um, and it's just a lot of fun.
2: And just one more reminder that we will be live and in person on the Delaware shore, all four of us in just two weeks, if airplanes are flying. (laughs) Lord (laughs) Almighty, it's rough out there. And you can meet us at Bethany Beach Books at 6 o'clock on July 20th and at a luncheon at Browse About Books in Rehoboth Beach the next day on July 21st.
0: All right, so before we talk to Alka and Martha again, don't forget that we have the awesome Nita Prose, author of the runaway bestseller, The Maid, on the afterwards show. So you will not wanna miss that. So make sure you stay on with us even after the closing.
1: Right, and all right, Martha and Alka, you're up next one more time. (laughs) One question that we always love to ask, what were the values around reading and writing when you were growing up? Alka, how about you go first?
4: the values around reading and writing, um, uh, I think that it was to uh, learn as much about other countries and other people as possible. Like, oh. I think It's so important to be a citizen of the world. And in so doing, you have to read, uh, you know, literature from all over the world. So yeah, that was it for me.
1: Was that oh. part of, do you think that was part of the immigrant experience for you, Alka?
4: Partly it was the immigrant experience where partly
1: because I grew up with
4: a professor father uh-huh. and, uh, you know, and and a mother who was also very progressive. And so even in India, we were always reading things that took place in other
1: countries. Yeah. Okay, Martha, talk to us about it.
3: My mother loved to read, but she grew up very poor and on Martha's Vineyard and the summer people would leave and they would leave all their belongings behind at the dump and, um, especially their books. So she went to the dump and, uh, she found all of her books there and they weren't always to her taste, but she was so widely read by the time she grew up. I, I, so I think she really, really valued, um, having books in her life. And every Christmas, my dad would go to the Bunch of Grapes bookstore on Martha's Vineyard and come home in the snow with, you know, a huge pile of books for her. And she, you know, buzzed through those. But, you know, at the dinner table, she read us Charlotte's Web over and over again, the best book ever. But uh, so I think that she, um, in taking us to libraries so much, it really uh, instilled that in me. And I'm so grateful that she did. Martha, oh that God. might be,
0: yeah, me too. That might be the best answer to that question oh. I've ever heard.
5: Oh and, my gosh.
0: You know, I, I've, I've got to say, before we let you ladies go, Alka, Martha and I both had the pleasure of meeting your dad when we were in um, at, the, at the Corona yes. Public Library together. And I had such a that crush on him. I know, wasn't he awesome? (laughs) He's adorable. And I feel like he was such a great influence on your life, as I I know your mom was, too. And, Martha, I was just thinking as you were talking, I was thinking this earlier, too, when you talked about how part of the reason you went to to Carolyn Faraday's house was because you were blue after losing your own mother. I I just have to think that she... and, And then now hearing about how she fostered your love of reading in your childhood, I just have to think that she had a hand...
3: Yeah. While she was here I,
0: and then after she wasn't in, in I, making you who you are and making your career what it is
3: too. I, I, I just I, I actually love that. went I went to a, a psychic in Atlanta and my mother came through and we talked about that and she said yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's true. My next book is about Martha's Vineyard and her, you know, her time <gasps> frame during World War II. Wow. So I feel I feel her presence even more right now. So oh, thank you for that. That's, that's so nice, Kristen.
0: Oh, my thank gosh. You. Well, Martha and Alka, I, I wish we could stay and talk to you for another hour. But alas, our show is only an hour <laughs> long. Yeah. And we have to we have to have Nita on now. We're so excited to talk to her, too. So, oh, ladies, that's going to be thank so you. fun. Oh, my gosh. I know. We're so excited. So, ladies, thank you so thank much for being you. with us tonight. You guys are so much fun.
4: Oh, you nice are so to great here. to
2: talk to. What engr- I got to say, what enriching stories tonight. Man, yes. just, Aww. I feel so filled up. That's amazing. <laughs> thank you, guys.
0: Thank
2: you. That's so nice.
0: Thank you. We'll see you later. Bye, guys.
2: Take care, y'all. Bye.
0: All right. Now to all of you out there, don't go anywhere because we have a great guest on the after show and our managing director, Meg Walker will be joining us too. So you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We are live there every week, just like we are on Facebook. Be sure to come back next week, same time, same place for another great show. As we welcome Catherine center and Linda Holmes and Leslie Hooten will be joining us for the after show and make sure you do not miss tonight's afterwards after show with Nita Prose. It's going to be great see you there in 30 seconds good night y'all ah they were phenomenal all right i want to i want to chat about the show but sean first can you bring our managing director uh, director meg walker on to join us she's always working so hard behind the scenes um and i think we're going to start having her on the after show more often I'll, I'll, yeah, there we go. <laughs> go. Hey, Meg, and you're
2: on. I thought meeting. her name was Cat Herder. What is this managing director <laughs> Cat Herder, stuff? Exactly. Right?
0: She is yeah. always hurting us. Oh my goodness! Was tonight's <laughs> show so much fun? I mean, I just, oh my gosh. I, I they they're just both so interesting and inspiring. So good. I'm kind of
2: hate Martha Hall, even though I love her because <laughs> who who says. I didn't really mean to write a New York Times bestseller. But yeah. it happened. But,
0: but coffee. But coffee. But happened. but I had a
2: coffee. We <laughs> I mean, had so much coffee.
0: <laughs> Patty, how many cups of coffee do you think it would take? I'm not you talking about to... it.
2: I'm not talking about it. Some things are very personal, Kristen.
5: Very personal. <laughs> I love how to... you have um in common. That they both yes. wrote. They both write historical fiction. They both wrote yeah. trilogies, basically on the same timeline. They're both yeah. former ad execs. I mean, yeah. it's almost yep. like copy editors. Someone, like yeah. we knew what we were doing pairing them up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <who knew? laughs> it's, it's like there was logic to our decision.
2: Yeah. Kind of like <laughs> accidental caffeination. Sometimes we have like accidental, <laughs> accidental genius. I don't I know. Thought
1: there was like some kind of great alchemy tonight yeah really? yes yeah,
0: I agree yeah, yeah. I agree wait, was like that I another said I felt science? filled up wait was that science
5: again
2: two okay. science things for Mary Kay
5: Kathy, Mary Kay is basically a scientist now
1: what if she starts <laughs> okay, doing I math, math May? what if she starts doing are, math oh, oh. all right
5: all right so make so
1: those <laughs> make those from experience that so that is never gonna happen keep the so, woman away from so, well, Remember.
0: <laughs> well, Mary Kay pulls out her beakers and uh, and begins the experience.
1: the other thing the other thing Meg knows is she will never ever ever let me book a book tour again.
5: <laughs> oh wait, I do have to say, Mary Kay, that um, you had lots of backers on the in the comments tonight. Lots of people chiming in and saying that they also drink Coke or Pepsi or Mountain Dew or Diet nice. Dr. Pepper. First thing in the morning, often with sweets, cookies, yeah. So evidently,
0: Martha's advertising campaign worked on all of us. It worked for everybody. All right. But without further ado, I would love to bring on our friend, Nita Prose. We're all very excited to talk with her.
2: I cannot wait to talk to Nita because I was obsessed with this book. I could not stop turning the pages. I listened to it on audio. But Nita is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the runaway bestseller, The Maid. Author Stephen King, I'm so jealous of this. I feel, I, know. Like, I feel like I can't even finish this part. Anyway, the author Stephen King said the maid featured, quote, the most interesting and endearing main character in a long time. And Library Journal called the novel an outstanding debut with a starred review.
1: And Nina actually began her career in publishing as an intern. And she's worked at several publishing houses through her career as an editor working with many best-selling authors. Currently, she is vice president and editorial director at Simon & Schuster in Canada.
0: Woohoo, shout out to SNS Canada.
1: Boom, so Nita
2: boom, resides.
0: Boom. boom, exactly. So she they published me and they're going to be publishing Patty now too, so we love them. So Nita resides in Toronto in what she describes as, quote, a house that is only moderately awesome. clean, which I would describe, therefore, as a house that must be cleaner than mine. So Sean, there you go. can you please bring Nita on? <laughs> Nita! Hi, Nita! Oh, ladies! it's so nice to be
6: here and you are making me laugh like nobody's business so I really
0: appreciate that
1: wow, we're so happy <laughs> um, you're here
0: it's so great to see you and we're just so happy that the maid has had um just the kind of success that it's had it's been wonderful to watch this journey for you can you begin by telling us a little bit about what the maid is about
6: Sure. Well, the maid follows Molly, who is a socially awkward hotel roommate whose world gets, you know, turned upside down when she stumbles across a guest who is very, very dead in his hotel room bed. And, you know, not a little
2: dead, not a little dead,
6: really dead. It's not it's not a good scene, especially if you're a maid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, for me, this is a novel about what it means to be the same as everyone else and yet entirely different. You know, as a murder mystery, it's a little bit unusual because the mystery can actually only be solved through connection to the human heart.
0: Oh, I love that. Love
2: God, that this is like chill bump night. I oh know, I know. I
5: know. <laughs>
2: Hashtag chill bump night. Dang, <laughs> Nita.
5: Dang. <laughs> wow. Nita, you've worked in publishing for a long time. Um, can you tell us a bit about your job as an editor and which authors you've worked with and, and how your journey um, led you here to where you are now? Well, I've worked with so
6: many incredible authors, and I must say that, you know, I credit them with getting me here. I have learned so much through the graceful authors who have allowed me to enter their worlds and um, to help them with their journeys. And because of that, I feel like, you know, I had um, a kind of shortcut into this world because I understood narrative structure so well because I had helped so many different authors with their stories and helped them realize them on the page. So, um, you know, I was able to write this book fairly quickly, and so I always joke about, oh, well, it only took me, you know, six months to write. No, it took me 20 years to learn the craft to be able to write my first novel. So, you know, that's a lesson in learning fast and slow at the same time.
5: I like that. I love that. Well, Did your authors and your, your coworkers did they know that you were writing this book or, or was oh kind my of goodness. This- mm,
1: mm, mm. <laughs> oh, I love it.
6: Um, now, some of you may have you know experienced um, oh, I don't know, imposter syndrome in your past. <laughs> Does that sound familiar to any ladies out there? Yes, <laughs> yes. So for me, that was like really tricky. Like that was a psychological thing that I had yeah. to get over. Because it was like, well, who do you think you are? Your writers are writer; You're not the writer. Yeah. Um, so when I decided I, I really owed myself the chance to try on this idea that I had, uh, I told no one. And when I mean I told no one, I mean I didn't tell my partner. I didn't tell wow. my friends. I didn't tell my family. And the last people I would have told were my colleagues at work because, of course, I was terrified. You wow. know, what if I finish this and I put it out there in the world and, of course, You know, all of my colleagues were like, and they were very polite, but, you know, finally said it's not very good. And then I'd have to face them every day at work, you know, in perpetuity. And that's sort of, you know, the only way I could get over that psychological barrier was to just tune it out and make the book only for myself first. And and
0: that's how I got the first drop done in complete solitude.
6: That's I don't know
2: amazing. how you didn't tell anyone. That's well, amazing. I,
0: I, I actually have to share something here. Um, I, so you were you did this in such complete, like you were so incognito <laughs> about it. that So I've known you kind of peripherally for years because I've been, you know, Simon & Schuster Canada has published me so well for the last decade. And so you always, are one of our favorite, favorite, oh, favorite authors. Well, <laughs> like, like back at you. I'm so, I love Simon & Schuster Canada. But um, it was not until you and I were emailing about another author a few months ago that you were like, by the way, do you know I'm Nita Prose? And I was like, what? (laughs) So, no, like you were Nita Prose for a long time. And this book was a huge bestseller before I even had any idea. I think I texted the rest of you and was like, "Uh, guys, I I know Nita Prose.
6: (laughs) I know.
5: I kind of well, wish I
6: had that email printed up because it was like, what? <laughs> You're what? <laughs> it was but quite
5: funny. Because your professional name is different,
6: right? That's like, right. So my my real last name is Pronovo, which, you know, I'm still learning to spell it. Um, uh,
5: <laughs> now I know why your character is so funny and endearing. That's adorable. <laughs> I'm really glad you changed it to um, one <laughs> Of all the people on here, yeah. <laughs> you know, I
1: well, now that I know you changed, that you, you know, you have a nom de plume as I do. It's like, wow, you were doomed to write with a last name, like prose.
6: No, <laughs> you know, and everyone asked me, well, why did you come up with that? And it's, it's, you know, when I, when I'm at work, that was my, that was my nom de plume. You know, when people would come by and say, okay, here's some jacket copy uh pros will you look at this look at this pros pros oh, that. so that everybody started calling me pros at the office so right. you know when i signed up for twitter a gazillion years ago um you know my handle was nita pros and then i thought uh, well all right
5: okay. i guess that's gonna be my pen name <laughs>
2: that's awesome i love that's that awesome. That's Wait, awesome
5: i'm still fascinated by the writing and secret thing because it's a big job that you have but i'm sure it takes up lots of hours in your day i mean I worked in house in a publishing house for many, many years. You know, so and if what and if you didn't tell anybody, like when did how were you able to steal away the time to to write? Them?
6: Well, Meg, I am a masochist, so I wake up <laughs> at five a.m. every day, and that's the truth. So you know, you know, first of all, you know, Meg, and many of you from your experiences in publishing. Editors don't work nine to five. We work at all hours and we don't work 40 hours a week, far from it. Um, so I was used to that sort of pace already. But the only way that I could carve out a substantial amount of quiet time was to get re- up really, really early in the mornings, and which I still do. I write at 5 a.m. I love that time of the day. I absolutely love it. As long as I'm super caffeinated, a topic that I know you <laughs> raised today, um, you know, I, I find that my, my, the, the, the worst parts of my brain are still asleep. The critical parts, the ones that's like, oh, that's a terrible idea. That Oh, don't don't do that. All of that negativity is still sleeping. And I feel like I can dance on the page at that hour. You know, and so that's what I do I in the morning, that. you know, and then by nine o'clock when my other day begins, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted by that exertion. And then I get the fun part of working with my authors and helping them solve problems. And I it's amazing how there's a synchronicity to that helping other people solve their problems actually then gives me the energy and the boost to creatively problem solve my own the next day when I come back to my own writing.
2: Oh, it's what a great Yeah. And you yeah. suck all the
1: energy out of your author's brain <laughs> and <you laughs> it. I'm basically a vampire, Mary Kay. Yeah. That's <laughs> what uh, uh-huh.
0: <laughs> this is why I can't come up with my next story idea. It's like Yeah, the, Nita took it. It's, it's like, it's uh, like the, Nita. Yeah,
4: exactly. Uh,
1: <laughs> Nina, when you were not well becoming clear. Nita was yeah. up at five o'clock siphoning All the yes, I felt it. I felt it coming out of me. Sorry, you know, it's a competitive industry. You gotta (laughs) do what you gotta do.
5: (laughs) Why
1: this specific idea? Where, I mean, do you have any idea where this story idea came from and how you went about crafting this character and this world?
6: Yeah, that's an excellent question. So
1: you know, I didn't I, know I didn't
6: <laughs> I didn't actually set out to write a debut novel. As I say, I love my job. I love being an editor. I love my authors. However, um, you know, I was at the London Book Fair in 2019, and you know, this is a place where editors and publishers gather. And we talk about acquisitions. We talk about all of your great novels, and we gossip and gossip and gossip about how wonderful. I don't want to uh, be a
2: fly on the wall. <laughs> you do. It's a lot
6: of fun. Um, and anyhow, I was at a London area hotel and, um, I went out for a meeting. I came back, opened my hotel room door and I completely startled the roommate who was cleaning it. And, you know, she jumped back into a shadowy corner and the highly embarrassing part is that she had in her hands, my track pants which were sweaty and tangled because I'd gone for a run that morning then realized I was late for a man meeting. So I threw them on the bed and she was gonna make the bed. And so she was holding my track pants in her hand and I startled her and we just looked at each other, <laughs> didn't say anything. And I suddenly realized what an intimate and invisible job it is mm-hmm. to be a roommate. You know, she'd been cleaning my room every single day. She knew everything about me, everything. And I knew yeah. nothing about her. And it was just one of those things that sort of sticks in your brain. You don't think about it much. But a few days later, I was on my plane ride home, and that is when it really hit me. I heard Molly's voice, the protagonist from The Maid, and it was clear, crisp, it was precise and polished to perfection. It wasn't like me at all. Not at all. And when I heard that voice, I knew I had something. I had the maid. I had the sense that she was, uh, you know, uh, a, a downtrodden worker in a hotel. And and I wanted to know her story and invest in it. And I knew then that I that I was going to write this debut novel. Oh, that's
2: awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Nita, I love this book. I mentioned it before you came on air, so I hope you heard. It was such a page-turner. I listened to it on audio and of course, I didn't make the connection between the editor and Steve and and, and native prose. And you you got you got so you got starred reviews. You got Stephen King, which we're going to have to talk about later because I just don't, I don't know what I'll to say about up. that. Thank you. No, I won't. Thank I don't you. know him at all. I
6: swear, I didn't pay him. I was as shocked as anyone.
2: <laughs> oh, it's just. But he was right. What he said about it was right. So. As a long-time publishing professional, you know that praise like that is rare and sought after, and your sales have been so amazing. So how does it feel being at the desk you're usually at and then to have your debut novel have this kind of success? Tell us how that feels. Like, was there this kind of cognitive dissonance? Was there, like... I want there, to hear still about
6: there still is. There still is. Um, you know, this jumping back and forth between roles, even now, I'm like, wait a second, why, why is everyone talking to me? I should be doing one of your jobs there and interviewing somebody <laughs> else. It it's very strange for me. Um, and I still wake up every morning sort of pinching myself. Um, there is a great luxury that you all know that is telling stories. It is yeah. a great privilege, and it's very, very difficult. Both things yeah. are simultaneously true. And so I feel so incredibly grateful, moreover, just to have readers. To have Mm -hmm. readers to complete my work, you know, because we put our work out there in the world. But it doesn't really emerge fully formed until it's read, until the reader completes the imagery by going on an imaginative journey with you through the process of reading. And that, to me, is more moving than anything else in the world and um, I I just, I love yeah. every reader for that. Mine and yours, all of them,
2: all of all them. them. One of my favorite quotes is by yeah. Madeline Langle, And she says that every book is a bridge between a reader and an author. Like yeah. there's this bridge and we cross back and forth and we cross back and forth. And so that's, that's exactly what you're saying. I love that.
0: Well, Nita, you expressed a love for the readers, but I think I can speak for all of us on this screen and all of us out there uh listening to say we love you i mean this is just you are delightful you are a joy um this book is fantastic and it's so nice to see this kind of debut success happen to a good decent kind person who's been working hard in this industry we're we're just we're all rooting for you um and and we're just so happy for you so that is so kind thank you so much no thank you and thank you yeah thank you so much for joining us tonight um And thank you for being part of our Friends in Fiction community. So, um, Nita, we can't wait to see what you do next. And to everyone out there, we can't wait to see you next week. Same time, same place. Good night, everybody.
2: Good night, everyone.
0: Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.
6: Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.